The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit MidtownColumbia.com slash partner. I haven't met you yet. I'm Ant, um, pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. Glad you're here uh, worshiping with us. I see we've got a few guests with us today, so I'm going to ask uh, a favor of you. Uh, hopefully, if you're a guest, we're able to get our bulletins to you. At the bottom of that is what we call our sign and drop. If you can fill that out for us at the end of our time together today, uh, we'll pass the offering baskets around. We'd love for you to drop uh, the sign and drop in there for us. That will help us to just know uh, who was with us, be able to acknowledge your presence, uh, and let you know that we, we appreciate you, uh, you being here with us uh, today. If you have been with us for a while, you know we're uh, kind of moving along, making some progress in our series that we're just calling Personal Liturgy. As the video um, that you just saw uh, just kind of let us know this, this, this uh, series is really all about us trying to pursue the type of blessed life that God calls or has for us and calls us to pursue uh, in him, specifically referring to a life that where we are blessed spiritually, where we walk in the type of, of love, joy, peace that he has for us. And one, one of the things we've been saying uh, is that the things that you do do things to you. So that's kind of our tagline for the whole series. The things you do, do things to you. So how do we set up the, the, the liturgy, so to speak, or the rituals and practices of our life in such a way where we actually pursue the type of spiritual help that God has for us? So we've had different challenges. We'll get to a new challenge uh, at the end of our time together today of ways, spiritual disciplines uh, that we want to be embracing as Christians uh, to help us walk in the type of just peace and joy and love that God has for us as his people. Uh, as we've been talking about this, we've, we've not only pointed to what God is calling us to, but also uh, pointing to the fact that there are these uh, what we're calling spiritual enemies or spiritual toxins that oftentimes hinder us uh, from living out the way that God calls us to live. We've been for the last two weeks, this will be our third and final week on the, uh, the, the spiritual enemy of distraction. Uh, by distraction, what I, what I mean is being unable to focus on God and others because your attention is taken by less important things. Being unable to focus on God and others because our attention is taken by less important things. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 15. Uh, specifically today as we talk about distraction, we're going to talk about uh, the distraction of busyness. The distraction of busyness. In my time as a pastor, obviously a lot of what I do is, is call people to prioritize their own spiritual health and their walk and relationship with the Lord. So I'm consistently uh, calling people to commit to spiritual disciplines such as prayer, meditating on God's word, fasting, Sabbathing, fellowship with believers, corporate worship like we're participating in today, fellowship with believers. And one of the things that often comes up and sometimes it's valid, sometimes it's not valid is, yeah, but I'm too busy. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm not able to put that into my, put prayer or, or time in God's word into my schedule. I'm just too busy. I have too many things going on. Too busy to fellowship consistently with other believers in our church or in our life group. I'm too busy to spend time in prayer. You can fill in the blank. I've heard this from people at very different life stages, right? The people with different life circumstances, people who are single, people who are married, people who are in college, people who are in between jobs, people who are in the workforce. Busyness is a real issue for us today. And sometimes our business comes from responsibilities that we absolutely need to commit to. And, and committing to those responsibilities is very honoring to God. Responsibilities such as things as simple as cleaning, family issues that might come up. Not with your kids, might be with your parents, siblings, extended family, whoever that might, that might be. Work or school is going to have responsibilities with deadlines uh, that we have to meet. 
These things take up space in our, in our schedule. I want to be very clear when I say these, these types of things. We, do, we must have a category for things that's like, no, that's a good responsibility. We should be taking care of those. Those things are going to cause us to be busy. That's, that's very honoring to God to handle those types of responsibilities. Those are, those are legitimate responsibilities that busy our schedule. But at the same time, if we're honest, we have to recognize that some of our, our business is very self-induced. Right? Some of our business is what we place on ourselves as we pursue preferences that we have or things that we enjoy. Oftentimes there are things that we think are needs, that we think are essential, that are, that are actually just preferences, actually things that we just prefer, that we enjoy, that make us feel good in some ways. Like, for example, for me, I often feel like, and y'all, y'all, gonna, y'all might laugh at me on this, I, I actually often feel like I need to catch up on what's going on on social media. Like, I feel, I feel like it's a need. I feel like I need to catch up. Well, uh, the game was yesterday. I got to go see what happened in the game, right? I'm just going to take a few minutes. I feel like it, it feels like a need to me. I've become so accustomed to uh, doing those things that it feels like a need when actually it's just a preference. It's a desire that I have. I believe all of us have preferences that we oftentimes feel like are needs, and they become very spiritually distracting to us. There are hundreds of things that we can be doing with our time every day. How do we make sure we are honoring God with our time? How do we make sure that that the the, the hundred decisions that we make during the day are actually glorifying the Lord? How do we navigate all the different decisions that are available to us each day? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 has some help for us. We get it started at verse, I'll read verse 15 through 17 and then I'll pray for us. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Lord, help us to look carefully at the way that that we walk. Help us to make best use of the time that you give us. Lord, we know in this life, all of us, we have a limited amount of time to do what you have for us. Lord, help us to live as, as wise and not as unwise. Help us to not be foolish and wasteful and reckless with our time, but rather that we would know what your will is, that we would center ourselves on that, and that we would live as you have called us to live. Give us strength, Lord. We'll fight for us even, Lord, in this battle against this distraction that harms so many of us spiritually every day. Help us to focus in on you and what you have called us to. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let's look at verse 15 again. <clears throat> look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. First off, he's saying you need to be paying close, careful attention to how you structure your life. Right? This is not to be something that, that where we are randomly led this way or that way based on whatever comes to our attention or whatever feels good in the moment. But he says, pay careful attention. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. He says, look at it, analyze it, study it, pay attention to your habits, pay attention to the patterns in your life. Analyze it. Pay attention to the day-to-day routines. Are you walking as wise or unwise? Your morning routine, is it wise or unwise? What you generally do in the mornings from time you wake up to time you go do whatever you need to do, are you living as wise or as unwise? Your afternoons, your evenings, are you living wisely or unwisely? We need to be mindful of this. We don't just walk through life aimlessly without considering the the patterns in our lives, but instead we pay careful attention. We look carefully at how we walk, that we might... Walking in a way that is wise and not unwise. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. He said we need to analyze and pay careful attention to the way that we walk 
Because we need to be making best use of our time. Because the days are evil. I imagine if we were living in a perfect world that didn't have all the brokenness and didn't have all the sin, it might not be as important for us to make sure we're living as wise instead of unwise. But consider this. With a world as broken and messed up as ours is, where we have sin, we have brokenness, we have an enemy, a spiritual enemy whose desire is to destroy us spiritually. In in a world where people get taken taken advantage of and abused daily, we don't have time to be wasting our lives being distracted away from what God has called us to. We, we, We don't have time to be walking aimlessly even caring for our own spiritual health, or not caring about our own spiritual health, I should say. We don't have time to just be, uh, as Paul says, fighting the wind, or, or as Ecclesiastes says, chasing the wind. When we live in a fallen, broken world, when there are people in our world who are without hope, and God has given us the message of hope in Christ. We don't have time to be distracted with whatever feels good in the moment, because the days are evil. We better be paying close attention to our behavior patterns, asking ourselves, is this the wisest way to be using my time? The Bible says that we all have a sinful nature that the Bible calls our flesh. It has passions and has desires that it makes us want to sow to the flesh. When the Holy Spirit says we are to, or the Bible says we are to sow to the Spirit, if we are to prosper spiritually, we don't have time to be wasting when we're in a spiritual war every moment of our lives. I need to be carefully analyzing the way that I use my time, striving to make the best use of my time because the days are evil, because my flesh is evil, and it must be beaten into submission. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he's saying because the days are evil, we need to keep careful watch over how we use our time, and we need to not be foolish, but understand what the will is of the Lord is. We need to know what it is that God calls us to do, and we need to let that be our God. Otherwise, we're wandering around aimlessly without a roadmap, without a compass, so to speak. I'm trying to give you an example. So uh, a while ago, uh, this is going to make you think that I I might have a lot of money. Not the case. Uh, A while ago, I uh, went to see a financial advisor. I was was out of college. I was starting to make a little bit of money. I was like, I want to do the right thing with with my money. And I, I I thought the first question he was going to ask me was like, how much money do you have? How much money do you make? How do you usually spend your money? What's your budget look like? That's not where he started. He said, what are your goals with your money? What do you, what do you want to see happen? Right? You want to be able to buy a house? You want to, you want to be able to send your kids to college? You want to be able to retire? What, what, are, what are your goals with your money? And I, I was shocked. I was like, uh, I want to have money. I'd like to have more money than I have right now. Maybe uh, I'd like to have a lot of money maybe at some point. I would love to... To do that, he was like, no, I need specific goals. We need to be clear on this. He said, because everything that I'm going to tell you to do is going to be based off of those goals. That's going to tell us what we need to do and what we need to not do. That's going to tell us where we can put money and where we can't put money. That's going to govern all the hundreds of decisions that you're going to have to be making with your money. It's going to be based off of what your goal is. Paul says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If we don't know what the will of the Lord is, we will be given over to distraction every day of our lives. We will be distracted. Anything that sounds good at the moment, okay, yeah, let's do that. This sounds good over here, okay, I'll go and do that. Paul says, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Without knowing what we are aiming for, we can't really have any type of direction. 
You can't hit the target if you don't know what you're aiming for. You can't properly look careful at how you walk and analyze whether or not it's wise or unwise if you don't know what the objective is, if you don't know what you were created for. We must not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is one of the reasons why uh, your successful businesses, your successful organizations are going to have a mission statement, generally speaking. We have a mission statement. This is what we're about. This is what we're trying to accomplish. Anything that does not get us there, scratch it, cut it, get it out of the way. This is the direction we are moving in. If you're going to make progress, you need direction. You need focus. Spiritual distraction and emptiness will dominate us if we aren't able to discern exactly what is necessary and what just sounds good in the moment. Paul says, do not be foolish. The implication is it's foolish to not know what God's will is. If you don't know what you were created to do, there's no way you can make best use of the time that you have. So that's, but that's a complicated question, right? Like, what is God's will? Like, isn't God's will different for, for some of us and others of us? Or does, does God's will for my life change? Like, or is, is, there like, is there like this one thing in life that I'm supposed to be after every day? And if I don't accomplish that, then I kind of did it wrong. Jesus gives us some clarity is we try to boil down this big concept into something very specific. That's exactly what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. Verse 34 says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So basically the Pharisees and Sadducees were, were leaders in Jesus' day. Jesus was on the come up. Everybody was following him. They weren't following the Pharisees and Sadducees the way they used to. They're jealous. They don't like Jesus at all. So they always try to trip him up, trying to get people to turn away from Jesus and turn to him. So he had just silenced the Sadducees. Uh, so the Pharisees, they got together. And this is what they brought to him, verse 35. And one of them, one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? So this is a lawyer. This was someone who had been an expert in the law, right? So you talk about Old Testament law, this person would have understood it probably about as well as anybody. So he comes to Jesus. He's trying to test him. He's like, which law is most important in the Bible? Look how Jesus responds. Verse 37, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He said, first of all, you love God with everything you are, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Love God with with all of your emotions. Love him so much that your, your affections and your admirations are more towards him than anything or anyone else. Love him that you will find more joy in being with him and knowing him than you find in anything Else, that you would celebrate him more than anything else, that the things that, that sadden him and grieve him the most will be the things that sadden you and grieve you the most, that the things that he delights in will be the things that you delight in more than anything else, that the things that please him will be the things that you want to do the most. He says, love him with all of your mind, that you just delight to think on who he is, that you stretch yourself mentally to understand who he is as he has revealed himself in his word. You, you seek to even honor him with how your, your thought life is governed, with what you allow yourself to think on and what you do not allow yourself to think on. He says, first of all, more than anything else, love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. This is a consuming command. You want to know what we were made to do? First and foremost, love God with everything that we have, every bit of our being. 
We do things individually to grow our love and affection for God. Some of them I named a little bit earlier, times of, times of personal worship to the Lord. Maybe you're in the Word. Maybe you're, you're spending time in prayer, communing with the Lord. That way we do things communally like we're doing right now, where we submit under the teaching of God's Word, when we sing and worship God together, when we fellowship with other believers. There's, there's individual and there's corporate and communal ways of, of pursuing and seeking out this greater love for God, loving him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, but he continues on, verse 39. He says, and the second is like it. So he's saying this is the second command that's like the first one. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. He says, love people the way that you love yourself. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we love ourselves? What is that? One of the first things that comes to my mind is I, I know for myself, if I have a need, I'm trying to meet that need. He says, love others the way that you love yourself. I know for myself, I, I desire my own. I, I, I have needs and I have preferences. I desire for my preferences to be met. He says, love others as you love yourselves, that you will value the preferences of others as much as you value your own. I care about my own feelings. So thus I must care about the feelings of others as much as I care about my own. I desire to be loved, and thus I must love others in the same way. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he makes this huge statement in verse 40. Huge statement. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. The law and the prophets for them would have basically been what they knew as the Bible at that time. The law and the prophets was a term that would be used to summarize how God had revealed himself through the word. So he, what he is saying is he's saying that the word of God that you have, all of it depends on these two commands. Love God with everything that you have and love people the way that you love yourself. And it says on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That word depend, it's actually usually translated hang. So it's to say, uh, I think the New American Standard uh, Bible says, on these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. So everything that we're called to do in the Bible, he's saying it, it kind of hangs on or depends on or, or, or is centered around and founded on these two commands, love God, love people. This is the most glorious and beautiful way that anybody could ever live. When you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and you love people as yourself. For Christians everywhere to make best use of the time by being devoted to loving God and loving people is what our world needs because the days are evil. And not only did Jesus say that the word of God hung on these commandments, but he, as the living word, his, his life was hung on these two commandments, so to speak. His life depended on these two commandments. I'll give you an example. In John chapter 14, you may be familiar with the story about what happened to John the Baptist. Basically, King Herod oppressively, and really what was murder, I would say, killed John the Baptist because he, he rebuked him for something that he did. So this is Jesus' cousin. Right? This is Jesus' cousin. Jesus hears about the news in John chapter 14, and he says he goes away to a desolate place to be by himself. The very next verse, it said that the crowds found where he was. So this is Jesus in his grief. His cousin has not just been died, but been brutally murdered right? by, by a very oppressive king. Jesus has, has gone away to get by himself. The crowds realize where he is, and they bring their sick to him. And the, and the verse says Jesus had compassion on them and healed their sick. This is loving God and loving people as yourself. 
Right? He, he realized that he was in this difficult, emotionally, emotionally difficult situation, but he also was able to see the difficult situation of others. And it says that he was able to have compassion on them. He wasn't overly focused on himself, but rather had compassion on others who were sick, who needed him. He loved those people as he loved himself. In Luke chapter 19, you may be familiar with this story. We won't turn there for the sake of time. Jesus drove out the powers that be that were working in the temple. You see, they were, they, they were selling at, at this time in the Passover. People would come in and purchase uh, the different animals for this feast, for the celebration that they would have. But, but the powers that be at that time had set up these money exchanges where they were basically uh, enacting these extremely high taxes, making it very difficult for people to participate in this Passover celebration. Made it extremely difficult for the poor. If you were poor, if your family was poor, it made it extremely difficult for you to participate in the Passover. Jesus, when he sees this, he makes a whip, goes in, is flipping over the tables and driving, the, the scripture says, and driving them out of the temple. This is Jesus, defender of the poor and the weak, with a whip. And he actually says to them that they've changed what was supposed to be a house of prayer into a den of robbers. Jesus taking up for those who are not able to take up for themselves because he loves God and because he loves people. And this is a beautiful, this is the most glorious way. This is what our world needs. Jesus knew very well that this would make them want to kill him even more. But he loved God the Father. And he so loved people that he did it anyway. And on the night that he was taken to be crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's feeling the weight of, of his crucifixion, as he's about to die for the sins of the world, he's about to have to carry his cross up Calvary's hill. But, but what I believe was even heavier is him carrying the sins of the world that he is about to die for and be condemned by his father on the cross. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. He prayed in the Garden of Eden, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but yours be done. He so loved God and so loved people that he chose to agree to the pain and the suffering of the cross, that his people might be saved, that his people might be redeemed, that the justice of his father would be satisfied. He put his trust in his father and became our savior that we needed. On the cross, as he's dying for our sins, His enemies, they were inhumanely murdering him. They were mocking him. They beat him and whipped him until they ripped the flesh from his back. They mocked him with a crown of thorns. They mocked him with a sign over his head that said, King of the Jews. One of them scoffed at him and said, he he said he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ, if he is the chosen one. And he looks down and he says to them, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He so loves people and he so loves God that the very ones who, was, who were killing him and hating him, he was showing love to them. They were yelling out scoffings at him. He was sending up prayers for them. They were trying to condemn him to death. He was praying for their eternal life and forgiveness and justification in him. He loved God and he loved people. And it is the most glorious thing you've ever seen. He died on that cross, and it doesn't stop there. He was raised from the grave, and he's coming back for his people because he loves God, and he loves his people so much. He's coming back to rid his people of this day 
rid his people of this life where this world is broken, where the days are dark and the days are evil, that we will go and be able to enjoy life in paradise with him and the Father forever without sin, without pain, and without suffering. He loved God. He loves God. And he loves people. And it is because of that that we gather today. It is because of that that Christianity exists and we have joy in the Lord because he loves God and he loves people. What an incredible Savior that we have. This is a glorious love. This is a love worth sacrificing our own preferences for. It's a love worth ridding ourselves of whatever distracts us from uh, from obtaining more and understanding more of this love. This is a love worth, worth reorganizing our schedules and the patterns of our days that we might come to know him more and more and spread his love with this broken world. Because as Paul says, the days are evil. The days are evil. This love, this will of God for all of our lives, love God with everything we have and love people as ourselves. This should be the compass that guides us. This, more than anything else, answers the question of what is the will of the Lord for us? It should be our compass, our our guide, and just as it did for Jesus, this should more than anything else dictate the rituals and routines of our life. It should dictate how we spend our mornings, our afternoons, our evenings, how we spend our free time. It should dictate what things we say yes to and what things we say no to. It should dictate what we do in the spur of the moment. It should dictate what our our long-term plans look like. It should dictate which responsibilities we are willing to agree to and which ones we are not. And anything else, anything other than having our lives completely governed by by, by this love of loving God with everything that we have and loving people as ourselves, anything short of that is being unwise instead of being wise, like Paul warns us against in verse 15. It's not making best use of the time, like Paul brings up in verse 16. It's being foolish, as Paul warns us against in verse 17. And it is idolatry because it is the worship of something other than God, namely our preferences and our desires. Anything short of letting this love of God dictate the way that we live. Thus, as Christians, we are to put to death anything that would distract us from living this out. Anything that would distract us from further coming to understand and know this love and commune with God because of this love and spread this love in the world with our words and with our deeds. We should put to death anything that distracts us from that. This glorious love that our world needs Whatever gets our eyes off of that is not worth it. I don't care how good it feels. I don't care how good it tastes. I don't care how much you desire it. It's not worth it. And it needs to be put to death in the lives of of believers. That might be a relationship. That might be a habit that you have. It could be any number of things and the hundreds of decisions we make throughout our day. If it hinders us from the pursuit of this love, it needs to die. In a world full of hopelessness and darkness... We need to be sharing the good news of hope in Jesus and shining his light that others might see it. The days are too evil for us to be distracted by our own desires, by our own lusts. We need to be centered and directed on this Christ-like love, the love that the word of God hangs on, Jesus said, and the love that caused Jesus, the living word himself, to hang on the cross for us. And we kill anything that distracts us from that distracts us from what we are created for. And we cling to anything, hear this, and we cling to anything that pushes us further into that love. 
We, we cling to whatever. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if it doesn't feel good. I don't care if it's not your preference. We cling to whatever pushes us towards that love, knowing that that is the greatest good, that that is the most glorious love, that that is what is needed in a time when the days are evil, as Paul says. We cling to it. Now, the way we live this out, live out this will of God, of loving God with everything that we have and loving people as ourselves, I do want to say, yes, it, it, it does look differently for different people. Sometimes depending on your life stage, sometimes depending on just the different uh, circumstances in your life, where you live, who you live with, what your gifts and strengths are, it is going to look different for some of us. But this is the foundation for all of us. The similarity that we have is for all of us is love God with everything that we have and love people the way that those things are actually lived out, yes, there will be some, some differences, some distinctions based on the gifts that we had and the situations that God gives us. I imagine if you're, if you're single, it's going to look different than if you're married. If you don't have children, it'll look different from probably if you do have children. If you're in college, it's probably going to look somewhat different than if you're currently in the workforce. But this is our foundation. This is, as Jesus said, what the word of God hangs on. To be even more specific... Some of us aren't as effective as we could be at at loving God and loving people because we're way too scattered, way too scattered. To actually know what the will of the Lord is and actually not be foolish and walk as wise instead of unwise, that, that includes knowing when to say no to good things that aren't the necessary things that God has called you to. I believe this takes high levels of discernment, high levels of prayer, Making the best use of time for some of you means saying no to things that people are currently asking you to do because it's preventing you from things that God is calling you to do even more. To actually walk as wise and make best use of the time, you got to be able to say no. You have to be able to say no. Some of us, if you're like me, you like to please people. You like people to think highly of you. So maybe that leads you to say yes more often than you should. And then you're, you're so distracted, you're doing all these different things and you don't spend any time with the Lord. You don't spend any time in prayer. You don't spend any time in his word. You spend so much time doing so many things for so many different people. And you're actually not pursuing loving God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And you're not truly loving people in the best way that you can. Because you're actually trying to gain some type of approval or validity from people by saying yes to them. To be able to love people as we love ourselves is being able to say no. But also, it's being able to say yes. Right? Right? Because for some of us, what we desire most is not approval from people, but our own comfort, but our own personal space, but our own time is what we, what we actually value more than anything. So we're real good at saying no. Got no problem. Some of y'all when I was saying, say no, you was like, yes, Lord. I accept. I receive. I receive that. Yes. For some of you, making the best use of the time is learning. My comfort is not God. God is God. I love him more than anything else. I love people as I love myself. So when people ask me to do things that I can do, it's not overstretching myself. It's not preventing me from getting adequate rest. It's not preventing me from spending time with the Lord. We say yes. We say yes. There are so many different things, so many different ways that each of us seek to make the best use of time. More ways than I can name, more ways I can come up here. I was trying to come up with this, with this like exhaustive list of things we might need to say yes and no to, but I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it differently. I want to give you a little bit of space in our, in our gathering time today to spend a little bit of time in prayer. So here's what we're going to do. 
In just a little bit, we're going to have some prayer prompts come on the screen, just some questions for you to go to the Lord with. If you have a bulletin, it might be helpful for you to write some stuff down on this one, or maybe if you want to use your phone, you can type it out on your phone. We're going to have some questions come on the screen for you to ask God, for you to talk to God about. I'll read them, and then we'll kind of transition into this time. Are you being distracted from loving God and people by unnecessary things that are actually a waste of time? Are there any good responsibilities that you're currently saying yes to that you need to say no to? And are there any good responsibilities that you're currently saying no to that you need to say yes to? I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit uh, is real and that he actually guides his people. So I'm going to ask you to commune with God for a little bit. We're going to transition and do the things that we normally do. I want to take communion in a minute. But right now, we just want to create some space for you. Spend some time in prayer asking the Lord, God, direct me in these ways. Now, what, what are you calling me to? Do I, do I need to say no to this? Do I need to say yes to this? I want to take a minute and pray. I'll pray to kind of get our time started off, and I'll come up and, and pray as we uh, kind of move towards taking communion together. Lord, as, we, as your people come before you today, Lord, would you remove the blinders? Lord, for any of us that are in denial this this morning, any of us who are in denial about what you are actually calling us to or about the distractions in our life, the Lord, that, that hinder us from making the best use of our time, would you prevent us from being able to dodge what you are calling us to? Would you help us to be real with, with, with our patterns, the patterns of our lives? Would you help us to be real, Lord, with the things that are distracting us, Lord, so that we might deal with those things? And Lord, would you give us a relentless pursuit to know you more, to know of this love that you have, this love that Jesus showed for us. We're going to need your strength on this one, Lord. It is going to be difficult for us to let go of things that we may have been holding on to for years. But if it's what you call us to, Lord, we trust you to give us the strength to do that. It's in Jesus' name I pray.